Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the Add Up Experience podcast, where we make education your business. Dr. Joe Salustio here again, again, and again. As uh, as I'm talking on this episode right now, as we're recording, I think we released our 780 or so episode over the last four years, marching hard to 800, which I really hope I don't hit until 2024, which is probably when you're going to hear this episode. It'll be probably in 2024 in January that you hear this. So happy new year to everybody. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Merry and happy, whatever it is that you celebrate. Uh, But we hope that you have some uh, New Year's resolutions that you are um, sticking to. Maybe you've already decided that you're not going to stick to them as you're listening to this episode. I do not do any New Year's resolutions because I only like to win. And I feel like by not setting those goals, I'm already achieving uh, because I can't fail. Um, But no, no, no. I really don't set resolution goals. Uh, I try to uh, uh, hopefully health is everybody's number one concern, whether it's mental, uh, hopefully some physical along the way as we... um, I don't know, we converge on this really funny industry that we work in called higher education, which has been under fire. And 2023 brought us lots of articles about this failing higher education uh, uh, industry we work on, that students don't value it anymore, that leaders can't lead it anymore. And I guess that only a little tiny bit of that is true. Students are still going to college There are amazing leaders in and around higher education. And I think, in my opinion, I think that the path um, toward higher ed has never been clearer and never more needed than it is today. And we're going to find out how needed higher ed still is by interviewing great people on this podcast. But before we start the interview, I have to bring on now my guest co-host who she'll be now a first time guest co-host she was a guest already so she's returning to spin the mic around and put others in the hot seat and she planned this she was like how i should ask harder questions of my guests right more pressure to the guests i said absolutely ladies and gentlemen here she is she's dr erica moore she's vice president for indigenous institutional transformation at ahec how are you erica thank you joe for the introduction um, by the way, I'm happy to be here. And just a reminder to the audience, AHEC stands for the American Indian Higher Education Consortium. And uh, when we interviewed you, you had, I think you were du- like executive director, director, and now VP of everything uh, is, <laughs> is how it's going. I, I did start off as executive director and was um, promoted in July of this Obviously. year. Obviously. <laughs> Smart move. Smart move by everybody to promote Dr. Erica Moore. Erica, you reached out and said, I've got two amazing uh, women that I think we should interview on Ed Up. And I said, we're going to do it right away. Because when Erica emails me, it's an immediate turnaround. I'm like, we're going to get them on right away. Why did you bring, before we introduce them, why did you bring these two ladies to the microphone? Yeah, um, well, I I follow your um, podcast and I Obviously, just- Obviously, thank you. Of course. <laughs> and I just um, saw you at Middle States Conference and I thought, our tribal colleges and universities are not spoken about at this level um, and we're doing amazing things. And so when I was ready to reach out, I'll be honest, um, I hadn't heard back from the two presidents yet, but I knew I wanted, uh, I was hoping that they would say yes. Um, 
I have traveled with um, one of the presidents. I um, speak often with the presidents at the uh, board meetings and conferences, and they always have such interesting and amazing stories to tell about their students and the work that's going on on their campuses. Um, and so I thought they'd be amazing to have on here so that we can have the public hear what's going on um, at the TCUs. And they are amazing leaders. Um, I'm also um, in favor of hearing from strong women and elders in our communities, and they both fit that bill. So I wanted to hear from them, and I wanted you all to hear from them as well. Amazing. that We really appreciate it. It is the... Uh... It's the diversity of perspective that makes the Edip experience, in my opinion, the best uh, podcast in higher education. And I say that selfishly, absolutely selfishly, uh, but also true. Uh, I believe it's true. And uh, we're going to bring our guests in one at a time. Um, I'm going to let the audience know there is a, a solid possibility that I will mispronounce something here, but, uh, but they'll correct me. I'm going to try to get it right. Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, my first guest. Her name is Dr. Sandra Boham. She is the president at Salish Kootenai College. Sandra, welcome to Annette at Mike. How are you? Thank you. Um, and you got it, Salish Kootenai College. I, I'm so, um, I have to be honest, I'm sw literally sweating right now, just so you know. <laughs> We're located in on the Flathead Indian Reservation in Montana. And um, I'm very happy to be here and have this chance to visit. Awesome. Well, we're going to get to it in a second, but let me bring in my second guest, 50% of the way there on not making mistakes. We'll see how it goes. Here she is. Her name is Dr. Cynthia Lindquist. She is the president, the president at Chandeska Chikna Community College, right? You got it. Oh, okay. Good job. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this episode has been concluded now. We're, we're done. That's it. No. <laughs> Cynthia, how are you? Welcome to Annette Up Mike. Oh, hello, my friends. I am called Star Horse Woman, and I am Dakota. Chandelistana is a Dakota word that means little hoop. And awesome. we are, are in northeastern North Dakota. And my college will be celebrating its 50th anniversary next year. So we've That's been amazing. here. We've been here a while. Yes. It's amazing. Okay, let's let's get right to it, you guys, because this is just like the the gravity and importance around this conversation. I'm already feeling it. Um, tribal colleges play such an important yet, um, I don't know, an important but not as as prominent, maybe prominent is not right, but not as uh, visual role as other colleges and universities, right? You think colleges and universities, and I don't think the first thought that the average person has is tribal colleges and universities. Why is it so important to get the word out, to celebrate, to talk about our tribal colleges and universities? And Cynthia, since I uh, got you second, you go first on the question. Well, thank you. I think it's linked to the whole thing about invisibility. And Native people continue to be invisible in this country, unfortunately. And uh, social media has provided us a whole new platform relative to making us visible. Who are we? What do we do? We're still alive. We don't live in teepees. <laughs> We're doing really, really good things. And it's through education that we are addressing that invisibility we're also addressing the whole issue of um, all our needs that we have in Indian country. And we're also reinforcing identity. So tribal colleges and universities are greatly 
unknown, misunderstood in that. And the American Indian Higher Education Consortia, which is 50 years old this year, is our advocacy organization for the 34 tribal colleges and universities. We're in 16 states. We have 77 campus sites. We serve approximately 150,000 students, mostly Native, but about 10 to 15% of our students are non-Native. We welcome anyone to come to our colleges and universities. Um, and typically those people are our farm and ranch neighbors who live on or near the reservation, or they've married into our families, or they could be tribal people who are not enrolled, which is a whole nother um, symposium <laughs> podcast. But we've been around a while um, and we truly believe in what we do. Um, tribal colleges are the community's resource for addressing our issues and making higher education available and affordable to our people and our the people in our communities. Amazing. I, I First thing is, if you're listening to this, you've just learned, and I, I knew this from when Erica was, uh, was on and had since lost the number, 34 uh, tribal colleges. And, and somebody here is going, I know somebody's listening going, wow, I didn't think it was that many. Or, or maybe they're saying, I thought it would be a lot more. I, there's no context almost to to it. Um, Sandra, so this is such an important conversation, right? Because uh, to Cynthia's point, you, you know, Native American and, and tribal colleges do exist. They do play an important role. It's time to talk about it. Yes. Um, so everything that President Lindquist said was right on. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the invisibility factor, because it's something that we are challenged with all the time here at Salish Kootenai College, because we don't do a really good job of sharing our story and our successes, because um, we are very grounded in our cultural values. And so some of that uh, marketing and public relations that most in institutions see as just a normal course of business is seen sort of as bragging in our community and we don't, that's not a value that we have. And so what we tend to do is go about the really good work that we do, but we don't say, look at what we're doing. And that's, that's something that we're all trying to learn about how to, to navigate that um, dominant society expectation and what we need to do to let people know about us but staying grounded in our cultural frameworks. So two things that the tribal colleges do, and there it's in almost every one of our missions, is around uh, cultural culture and language perpetuation. And I'm saying perpetuation, not preservation, because we're not trying to archive it, we're trying to revitalize it. We want it to be alive. We want you to hear our languages spoken in everyday um, existence. So if you go to the grocery store, we want you to hear those languages and not say, oh, I think they have a language here, but nobody ever hears it. We have two languages on our reservation because we have um, three tribes that reside here. Two of them are Salish speaking and one of them speaks Kootenai. And so we offer both languages. Um, the other part of it 
is around fulfilling the needs that our tribe has for essentially nation building. It's to create the people that we need within our communities to educate our children, take care of our families, provide the governance and leadership, manage our natural resources, all of the aspects that you need within a thriving um, community. And so that's what we do. Um, 45 years ago when Salish Kootenai first started, and we have a whole unique history um, that we could go on for, I mean, you could take whole classes in it. But we we were um, at in, in the 70s under the um, Indian Self-Determination Act, um, we could begin to contract some of our programs and operate them ourselves, like our forestry and fisheries and social work and tribal health and those kinds of things. The problem was we didn't have any tribal people that had the credentials they needed to do that. We had a few, but not enough. And so the college, which was founded in 1977, um, really moved that agenda forward. There were some brilliant visionaries in the tribe before Salish Kootenai College, don't get me wrong. And there were people that got educated, but few. And so when we came along, a lot of the people making the decisions on the reservation were non-tribal people who were not from here because they had the, the skills and the academic qualifications for those positions. Move forward 45 years later, and we're now a self-governance tribe. And almost all of our significant positions in all of those areas, in our healthcare, in our um, natural resources, in our tribal government, all of those decisions now are being made by tribal people who are from here because they were able to get their education through Salish Kootenai College. So it's, it's an incredible and very important role that all of these colleges play within their communities. I'm going to ask one more question, Erica, and then I'm going to pass the whole rest of the episode to you and you could take it home. But I, I got to ask this just from the, and, and I'm going to make a disclaimer that as I ask this question, I am not trying to offend any group when I ask it. Um, as society has, um, over the last couple of years and COVID and all these things that have happened, you've seen lots of movements, the Black Lives Matter, you've seen a migrant uh, a crisis on the border of, you know, uh, from South America, different groups, LGBTQ advocating for themselves. And then you talk about invisibility for our nation's native people. Is there a feeling of, you know, what gives here? Like, wh what about us? Is it a, we don't want any part of this, uh, you know, or how does that dynamic work? Because um, the, our Native American people are obviously native, have been here for a very, very long time. And there does seem to be an oversight factor somewhere along the line. I don't know if I'm saying that right, or if I'm really asking a question. I'm hoping, Cynthia, back to you. Um, am I making any sense? I'm almost asking, you know, is the invisibility factor created so it's like engineered what do you think well okay i wanted to make sure i unmuted myself <laughs> um you know that's a really good question and it it can 
make me mad <laughs> to some degree in that um, because it's like, is it our own fault? But no, it's the relationship that this country has with, with its indigenous people is complex, convoluted, and they're just, I'm sorry, there's just too many untruths. And American Indian Alaska Native people um, have a very different and unique relationship with this country that's based on colonization. It's based on taking of the land and the settling of this country. And then it's rooted in treaties, treaty rights, treaty laws. And so when I speak, especially to non-Indian groups and that I'm talking about the whole thing about our, our issues and the things we're trying to solve and that people have got to understand that that history, that relationship is very, very different. And it's a political relationship. It's not race-based, it's political. Okay, so I get upset when somebody calls me an MSI. And 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 again, it's it's just it's ignorance. People just don't know, don't understand. And I have I and I have many friends at MSIs. <laughs> and we love MSIs and we love our mainstream institutions and stuff. And we partner with them because we have to. We have to get along, we have to collaborate to solve not just our problems, but the world's problems, the state's problems, because they're mutual. They're 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 one and in the, they're all of ours in that. So the tribal colleges and universities were formed because our people were not succeeding in mainstream. And our uniqueness is also tied into being chartered by our tribes. I only serve my community. I do not go to President Boham's reservation to recruit students, okay? At the same time, anyone is welcome to come and attend. So if, if there are Salish or Kootenai people here in my community, they can come, they can attend my college and have the same benefits and support systems that any of my students have um, eligibility for in that. So Native people, we've lived through all of this. We know who we are. And President Boham touched on that, that other thing about um, humility. Uh, but within those values, we also were very, very patient. <laughs> we're very forgiving. We're very generous because we like to share. For us, our, our concept of life and living in this world is sharing, is making sure everybody is taken care of within the context of the whole. And, and we learn that through our kinship values and systems, the family system and structures, but it extends. It extends outward to community, to the, to the region, the state and that. And it also includes our relationship with mother earth. And so there's such, wonderful common sense knowledge that comes from indi in indigenous values and who we are and we know who we are and that and that's there and so that's the beauty of tribal colleges and universities and our work it's reinforcing that identity that cultural um, pride of who we are and what we know and bringing it forward and and trying to live in these other worlds while not losing who we are, you know, in that. And and, and it, sometimes it's a fine line. And I'm very, I've been around a while. So I'm an elder. I get to kind of say my mind and say my piece, but hopefully in a good way. And hopefully again, with data, with, with grounded data that comes from us about who we are, how we got here, how we need you to help us. And the other thing on that is we want to tell you 
how you can help us. Please don't have that great white father mentality. Oh, I know it's good for you in here. I'm, you know, I'm the federal government and I come to help you. Oh, sorry, we don't believe you. <laughs> you know, and that. I mean, we're doing remarkable things in Indian country and through the tribal college system. We have both the American Indian Higher Ed Consortia. We have the American Indian College Fund, which is our fundraising organization. And both entities, organizations are helping to raise our visibility about who we are, how we're doing it. And then having that accountability piece that goes along with it. Last so, last I, year, one year ago, almost, uh, actually a year and a month, I had Angelique Albert on CEO of oh, uh, yeah. Native uh, Ford Scholars Fund. So, uh, and then uh, Dr. Monty Randall from the College of Muskegee Nation, um, Manoj Patil from Little Priest Tribal College, and he co-hosted with me. So there, there's, a, there's a vibe that um, these institutions are growing in prominence and visibility. And Sandra, do you feel that same way about... Um, about that question that Cynthia does and, and that uh, visibility is like the ultimate importance right now? You know, um, we are all gaining in visibility. I mean, when you think about higher education, that's what, over 200 years old, some of our institutions in the United States, and the oldest one of us is 50. Um, how old is uh, Diné? 50... 52, we, we are babies in this um, realm, but we have create, we have done so much in such a short period of time. And I do think that as we have become more sophisticated and as we have addressed our um, growing pains, I mean, I think you're going to hear a lot more from us and about us. Um, you know, the people that founded AHEC were incredibly visionary. And what we did was we said, we're going to, we're going to bind together and we're going to work as a, as a group and not be, um, pitted against each other, which is kind of how we were set up. So, um, for people that don't know, in order to be a tribal college, you have to be at least 51%. Federally recognized tribally enrolled students. And you have to be chartered by a tribe. And so why I'm saying that is because it goes back to what President Lindquist said about political status. So we actually have a certificate on file that documents our, they do it by blood, which is a whole nother just crazy story. But it's much the way you would register a pedigreed dog. Um, when the child's born, you take the parents' birth certificates, you file them, and it shows who's enrolled and how much blood and whether the dad is or not, and then it's combined, and you're registered, and you get this card, and then you're in a federally recognized tribe, and that's how you gain your political status. So we really aren't like any other group in the country. If somebody is black or Asian or Latino, they don't have to provide a card that proves it. They just are. The same with- That's crazy. And so that's why we have an affinity for the people that are you know, working towards their civil rights with LGBTQT and um, with the black. We understand that fight. 
but it's a different fight than ours. And so when there are um, discussions around affirmative action and racial-based um, scholarships and admissions, we're not a race-based people, we're a political status people. And so that's why our conversations are a little bit different in that way. But we certainly advocate and um, have affinity for people who are who are trying to um, gain their their civil rights in in this country. The other thing to know about Indian people in this country is we're barely one percent of the population, and that is another challenge because as you look at many of the demographics that are published, we're the asterisk. You won't even find out anything about us. And so we are working very hard to elevate those, those uh, positive aspects of ourselves. because what has tended to happen with Indian people is that we focus on the deficit because you'll find us on all the lower levels of socioeconomic and um, indicators of well-being. You know, we have higher rates of health disparity and income disparity and everything you want to talk about, that's a deficit. But on the other side of that, we are incredibly resilient and we are working to address those issues within our own communities. And so those things, as we elevate our communities, which we're doing, um, and which is why, as you look at some of our colleges, the programs that we have are very, like we have a nursing program here, a four-year baccalaureate nursing program. The reason we have it is because we know that we need to prepare culturally competent, medically trained nurses to address our health disparities. And we are one of the most successful institutions in the nation for graduating um, nurses that are American Indian. And I think second behind us is Oglala Lakota College in South Dakota. Wow, such an important designation. Not, it's not racial, it's political. There, I've, I'm learning a lot in this episode, which is amazing because there's going to be probably between 500 and 1,000 people across higher education that listen to this episode. Now I get to pass it uh, over to my guest co-host who's been waiting patiently. She did send me a text and ask me to stop asking did questions. Not. I'm going to do that. <laughs> stop talking so much. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, I think I'm going to try to stick with the the theme of moving away from the deficit. So we've talked about how we've got here, right? The historical context of colonization, forced assimilation, how that's impacted um, indigenous peoples within higher education. We've talked about how we're different or similar to other um, populations that have been at risk within this country. But I would like to talk about a more positive um, and more narrowed view for both of you within your own respective TCUs. So what are you the most proud of that's happening on your campus right now? And what would what would you want the world to know about your students that are there, right? Since we are very focused on our students, not just in the classroom, but as human beings and how they go out into the world. And as you said, make it or bring back um, to our communities. So I I will go with President Lindquist. Um, and you can go first. Tell them oh, like it God. is. Gosh, gosh. How do you talk about our success stories? Because, oh, and we have many. We have many. So it's hard to pick isolated 
um, but we recently were in the news here locally in, in North Dakota, Minnesota, South Dakota, there's a regional news for the mid, upper Midwest in that um, we got a $900,000 grant from NASA. Surprise. Okay. And, and it's through a partnership my little college has with the University of North Dakota, which is about 100 miles east of where, where we are located. And through UND's biomedical engineering program and our advanced manufacturing program, my little college is going to be building a component for the um, spacesuits for the astronauts. Exciting. You know, and, and, and who would have thought? So what's this little, how can this little college? Well, it is actually one of my students who kind of thought and conceived of some things and in in this partnership and relationship, but and we have all kinds of stories. I can now point to tribes social service programming here on my reservation. And I haven't looked at the data recently, but about maybe about a year ago or so, I think there was 18 or 20 positions for tribal social services. 18 of those are my graduates. You know, so in yeah. my college is that the associate degree granting, but they have bachelors, BSWs from UND because of a two plus two partnership. And of those 18 who are my graduates with the bachelors from UND, I think there's six or seven of them who are now on uh, master's pathways. So we we can point out where our graduates are. Oh, they're over there here. That's my grad. That's my grad. The other one I'm really, really proud of that I still tout is that we had the, uh, the tribe's first civil engineer in 2015 who works for tribal EPA environmental protection agency programming um, for the Spirit Lake tribe. And that was through a partnership with North Dakota State University down in Fargo, which is about three hours south um, east of me in that. And so these are tribal people who are doing amazing things in they've gotten to fields that they, they never knew that, that, that they could do or, or be part of. And the tribe, we help them to get there, to get to that. But we partner well with our tribes. We know tribal employment and the needs of our communities. And, and you have to understand education for my community is still, it's not as bad as when I became a president 20 years ago, but we still have a lingering suspicion about education where it was used as a tool to punish our people and boarding school, that whole thing. And so my community still struggles with, oh, I don't know about education. We don't trust it. It's a bad thing. They're going to hurt me. They're going to punish me. They're going to force assimilation. And so through the tribal colleges, it's like, no, no, no. Education's a good thing. Education's going to help us. It's your own personal health and well-being, your, your, your pathway. And then for the tribe and the community, it's that pathway towards succeeding. So kind of covered a lot of different things that way, but we have tremendous stories in Indian country from the tribal colleges. Victory! That is so exciting. You never know when Joe's sounds are just going to pop off. <laughs> um, President Boham, do you have exciting things going on on your campus? And what would you want the world to know about your students? Oh my gosh. So I am in constant awe of our students. And, um, you know, it, it was really interesting because during COVID, we did something that kind of shocked people. And at first, I think um, our board thought, what the heck, the president's gone crazy. Um, because I said, we're not going to recruit. We're not recruiting any students. Um, 
everything is too unstable. Students come, they try to go to school, they get sick, their kids get sick, they aren't successful, they try again. And of course, COVID did a lot of really good financial resource support, but it didn't change the financial aid rules. So those clocks kept ticking. And I said, I, I, I feel like it's not ethical to do that. And so we said, we're not gonna do that. And then we had a whole lot of conversations with our students about what they needed to be successful. And we said, we're gonna focus intently on what makes our students successful from what they said. And we shot our retention rates through the roof and we increased our graduation rate. And um, it wasn't rocket science that they told us. What they said was, we knew that um, food insecurity was a thing. And they said, you know, we, we really could use that. And of course, if you've been shopping, you know that food is expensive. So we implemented a food pantry, that simple. And then we also increased access to mental health for everybody, faculty, staff, students, their families, and they could access it 24 seven online or they could see face-to-face -face appointments. And that had a very significant impact as well. That because is amazing. we don't wanna talk about how hard it is to be a student and take care of children or worry about your bills. And so the other thing that we did was we really normalized and said, there's there should not be a stigma to say, I need help. And so we did that and, and that had a huge impact. And that was our students that told us what, what they needed for us to do for them. And, and then they accessed and used the changes that we made and, and have gone there. The other thing that I have to say is we've really been working on growing our own because um, not every, okay, let's, I'll just tell it how it is. The dating pool here is very shallow if you're young. And so as I recruit young faculty people and they're 30, they come here and they go, this place is not happening. There's nice. nobody to date. There's nothing going on. So they don't stay. But if you're working with people people who are already here, then you don't have to deal with that quite as much. And so we really started um, working with developing our students all the way through their bachelor's, because we offer bachelor's degrees in addition to our two-year programs, our one-year certificate, our workforce um, certifications, and then we have two master's programs. And so... We build them, we try to find scholarships and connect them with other institutions to build that capacity within the college. So we have a lot of our former students who are now employed here at all levels. Some of them are faculty people, some of them are student support. Um, I have four out of the seven board members that are here that have went that went to school here. And so, um, it makes a big difference um, about not having mission drift and knowing what our community needs and then getting that investment back into the community. So we have a faculty person who just recently um, was awarded a pretty significant grant to create a, a climate hub. And so she's been working on that 
and her the the assistant that she has is a graduate of ours and so they're looking at really exciting things around solar and geothermal and all kinds of of work we also just recently got awarded as part of a consortium a planning with a tech hub and so that's another aspect and of course that's building a lot more workforce and across the spectrum everything from electrical to modeling in computer predictive stuff. And so, and our students are involved in every piece of that. And, and then of course our nursing students um, that are, they're working everywhere in the United States and they are excellent. And then um, our teachers as well. And Cynthia has this program and so do we, where we're really working to develop that pre-K, Head Start, early childhood teachers, because those children are so critically important and those teachers are important. And so, you know, our students are working with those teachers and becoming those teachers. And so um, there's a lot going on here. I mean, I could probably talk for two days about all the amazing work. And then, of course, you met, I probably are chief he's a cio and i can't remember what the cio stands for in our um computer it department uh, around cybersecurity and um all of the work that goes on that i can't talk proficiently about with technology and um and then of course building our computer science program next to it which we have an amazing person here that is directing that and working with the college fund. And um, that's inspiring students all the way into middle school and high school, because we were involved trying to get kids excited about what these programs are, what, what career options exist. And those are our students talking to those kids. Keep going, Erica. So um, I'd like to touch on, since um, you mentioned um, matchmaking challenges, <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and I know that, I know that we're, we're just joking about that, but I think um, where our tribal colleges and universities are situated um, are isolated areas. So um, outside of the dating pool, it can be very difficult um, to bring folks into our tribal communities um, and then that's obviously why you mentioned we're trying to grow our own. Um, so you do not need to go outside of the community. So just sparked um, a question. I wanted to know if you feel like you face different challenges as leaders on college campuses, your respective institutions, than other college leaders of, um, or institutional leaders are experiencing on their campuses. Do you feel that they are different challenges, I guess, unique challenges? Of course, because in and of itself, just being rural, isolated, let alone then on a reservation, and then this tribal college thing, <laughs> what's a tribal college, you know, whatever, but I just, we just recruited a highly, highly qualified English and faculty member who's moving to North Dakota from Mississippi. So, and I'm still shaking my head, but 
Because <laughs> if, if you know, if you don't know, North Dakota we're kind of famous for our weather and our our lovely winters in that. Um, but he's been adjuncting for us for the past couple of semesters in that, and we're just he's very well credentialed, and he, from what we've been learning from our students, he's a really good teacher instructor. So mm -hmm. things happen. Things happen, and and again, I I think it takes. Um, like-minded people who really get and, and education is such a marvelous world because we obviously we believe in what we do and who we are as educators <laughs> you know and there's such a and I, and I just lots of times I, I look back on my own journey and getting my doctorate uh, in the, the trials and tribulations of, of you know the bachelor's the master's the doctorate that pathway and who am I and where do I want to go well I never aspired to be a president I mean what? Huh? I was asked by my tribe to come home to lead mm. this institution because of my other work and, and whatever in that. But education in and of itself is such a good thing. And it continues to be. And and, and, and it bothers me that it in, in this country that we're dissing it so much. You know, for me, every person in this country should have the first two years of college. No questions asked. It should be K through 14. Yes. Just stop it. Just do this, you know, okay. and then providing that, that, that access and, and because education means different things. And I know and understand that. And education is not just a terminal degree, but as a president, I'm sorry, that's what I want for all my students. Um, but it, it opens other doors, relationships, communications, finding your passion, your, you know, what, what your dreams and that. And, and through the tribal college world, we have got just phenomenal things going on and that access. And again, that, that availability of who we are and what we do. And, and we really welcome those like-minded people, you know, and we find them, we find them. And yeah, we like to grow our own, you know, because we're a tribal college and we should have more tribal people here and that, but um, yeah, we also like, getting along, working together, collaborating, partnering. And isn't that what, not just education, but what being a human being is all about? Absolutely. I think I have um, something that kind of goes off of that. You know, so often in this work, I'm, uh, folks ask me, well, what, what could we do to support TCUs as, you know, just non-tribal members or non-Indigenous um, professionals within um, higher education. So I would love to hear from um, the two of you, and we can start with President Boham. Um, where, where would you like to see support or where can your non-Indigenous colleagues um, and peers um, advocate for us as um, tribal people, tribal colleges and universities? What could that look like? Um, so often we are doing the heavy lift ourselves um, and we didn't get here by ourselves, right? Like this education system wasn't created by us or for us. Um, so I think we all, like President Linquist said, we welcome um, collaborating and support from other um, individuals. So where would you like to see that advocacy or or how can those peers advocate for TCUs and or our students? Yeah, boy, this is a, a question that I've thought about quite a bit. Um, so I've been in higher education since um, 1979. Um, I, I started as an adult ed teacher. 
And um, I like President Lindquist. I, I think that it's important that every person in this country who graduates with a high school diploma or who gets a GED or a high set or whatever the equivalency is, that they have a choice about what their next steps will be. And that it's not pre-described for them and, oh, you're gonna, you're only capable of this or you're only capable of that. I think it's really important for students to have choice. And I know that because I've seen so many students who walk through our door here who firmly believe that they're not good enough, who discover that they bought the wrong story and that they really are amazing and can do whatever it is they set their mind to. Um, and I'm not going to set those limitations for them. And so I, I believe that's critically important. I think right now, part of the conversation around why college isn't worth it is really being driven by business. We do need skilled trades. There is no question about it. Um, but again, it's got to be a choice for those students who choose those skilled trades. I would be a horrible welder. I'm just going to tell you that. I did not realize the hand-eye coordination that goes with welding. Yikes! Um, it, it is pretty high up there. If you gave me a torch, get out of the way because I'd probably burn the house down. I am glad you found that out before you hurt anybody. <laughs> I know, but you know what? I'm pretty good at what I do. And somebody else can be a welder. And that's great. And I'm going to do whatever we can do to support them to be a welder. And the message about college is too expensive. And you should, if you do this, you can make this much money or that. And you can make this much money. What they don't tell you is to be a carpenter and make the amount of money they're saying, you have to have training. And training is called higher education when you go past high school. So um, it's a disservice and it's hitting low-income communities differently than it is communities who already have that pathway and understanding of higher education, who've been given the map by their families and they're not first gen anymore and they can navigate that. The students that don't come from that, they don't know. And those are the ones that are getting this message of you can't afford it, it's not worth it. And so I think our colleagues need to help reframe that. The other thing is business is really pushing that agenda, but they're not putting money into the colleges. They're saying, we want you to train all these really technical um, workforce skills, figure out how to pay for it. And anybody who's done vocational training as they used to call it, I think it's called career technical education now, the startup for those programs, the investment in the equipment and the instructors is significant. They're the most expensive programs that I have, except for nursing. And That's so, a fact. That's a fact. It is a fact. And then um, the other thing that they can advocate for us is equitable resources. And I'm not even gonna get into that because what people start to do is to compare us to other minority programs that get different levels of funding. We're not interested in taking away from them. We're interested in having our own equity um, investment. So I'm happy that 
other um, people in our, uh, I'm losing my words, other people within this, you know, other groups are getting adequate funding, but we are still not. And so advocacy along that line. And then the other thing is, is partner with us. So if you're in an institution and you have a program and you're thinking of a grant and you know that it's going to meet a particular need, talk to us, see if we want to maybe partner with it and help us grow our capacity because we don't want to just work in isolation. We want to work because we also want our students to have that choice to stay and work within our communities or to go and work in other communities to learn things that they can bring back in the future. But what often happens with partnerships is that um, someone will say, oh, I have this great idea and they write this grant and then they go, oh, it would probably be better if we added an Indian group to it. You want to partner, but then there's no resources for us. And so when I say partner, I mean full partner. And so advocacy around our funding, around um, the messaging around college and then partnerships. That's what we could really use from our um, higher ed community. Really good stuff. Erica, you have any more burning, burning questions for the ladies here? Um, I guess, I mean, I've heard before, you know, I think both of you mentioned this. Um, there is this general thought when folks do know that TCUs exist, um, very antiquated, stereotypical ways of thinking, like we get free education, we get um, casino money, everyone gets per cap. Um, why do you, why should you have a college and not us? Um, and I heard a response before um, when referring to those issues and someone once said, our students paid the cost with the through the blood of our ancestors, right? Um, and so I, I wonder what does that mean to you? Um, when you think of the historical context, the forced assimilation, boarding schools, we're seeing our babies being brought home to um, tribal communities in the thousands um, from the unmet mass marked graves. What does that quote, I suppose, mean to you? And do you feel um, that it's accurate? And go with whoever wants to start. That's one heck of a question. You said to give them a doozy, so I'm giving it. It was a doozy. <laughs> yeah, it is. And we probably need a couple more podcasts to cover it all. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, and for me, it's, it's truth. Telling the truth about how this country was colonized and settled and the displacement of American Indian Alaska Natives. You know, and, and unfortunately, that truth is buried. And, and it gets hard. I, I've had my moments where I'm sitting with legislators or congressional people and, you know, you, you have to bite your tongue. And then I have moments, especially as I mature, where it's like, I'm not going to bite my tongue anymore. I'm going to go up and slap him. <laughs> let me, please do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, because how yeah. can a selected official who's supposed to know something, but controlling the purse strings or controlling the legislation or whatever, be so ignorant when they have not even done the research or have the staffers do the research. You know, We've got really good data and information. We know what's happened to us. And 
And sometimes, yeah, we want confrontation. We want anger and whatever, and, and to throw it out there and whatever. But the reality of it is, um, we know how this stuff works, you know, and, and, and yeah, it, it was my, my great grandpas and grandmas who, who we lost, you know, it's, it's the land, the minerals, all, all of that, that was taken and then the displacement. And, and that, again, that, that whole story is not told the history books. Don't tell the truth. I'm sorry. You know, and, and in this day and age, we're starting to tell that truth. And people don't like it. The example I'm going to give you right now, we have riders going from Crow Creek, South Dakota, to Mankato, Minnesota, for the Dakota 38 plus two. The largest mass hanging under President Abraham Lincoln, 1862. And, and these riders ride, unfortunately, we, we, again, we've got unusual weather right now going on here in the Dakotas and so that but typically they're riding in the blizzards and 20 below and all this and that but they're making this three four hundred mile track and they stop along the way that farm and ranch neighbors on that pathway to ride horses to get to Mankato and inevitably those farm and ranch families welcome them in they're kind but they're like who are you what are you Indians doing out here <laughs> and so they sit and they talk about, they tell them the story about what they're doing and why. And inevitably, the farm and ranch families who are non-native are like, how come I don't know this? How come I wasn't told this? And especially as you get closer to Mankato, Minnesota, those and the Minnesota people, they're like, we were never taught this. We didn't know this. We didn't know this happened. You know, and so it's the displacement of the Dakota people and then this this um, sanctioned mass execution by the United States government, and then our people. That's how that's how my people, how we're here in Fort Todd in North Dakota, when we when we came from Minnesota. But it's 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 telling the truth our way, our truth, you know, and, and having you know, and it's all documented. It's there, and people don't like us digging that all out. And and we we do this like the ride. It's to bring that attention, but it's really, again, bottom line, it's about education. You don't know what you don't know, mm -hmm. you know? So, and to, to address the disparities, the inequities and all that, it's only through education. It's one person at a time, dealing with another person at a time or having these wonderful things now called podcasts <laughs> to spread the word and to share those stories. And, and there's all kinds of information out there right now. Good mm -hmm. information. So I think we're we're coming to an end. So in um, I think President Lindquist, you did an amazing job um, responding to that difficult question. Um, I'll toss a really easy one, but a one we it would be great to end on um, for President Boham. Um, we just went through the first fifty years, the first um, circle of the Tribal College Movement. How do you envision the second circle of the Tribal College Movement? What would you like to see um, for? AHAC and the TCUs? Well, um, it's kind of exciting. And AHAC itself is going through um, some real interesting change. You know, um, a lot of the longtime presidents are retiring. So there's this whole new class of young presidents, meaning new presidents that have been in the role for um, less than five years. And so as we look at what what we've done in 50 
and the accomplishments that we've made and then looking forward to what are the next 50 going to be like and trying to envision what the future is going to be. And of course, we all kind of had a trajectory that got knocked off path these last three years. So it's now um, trying to envision what this world is going to look like and how this world is going to be and what our communities are going to need to become vibrant and thriving. And we've always had kind of a focus on the people and the environment. And I think we're gonna see some really innovative approaches to that that are gonna come out of tribal colleges that you'll start to see being adopted by mainstream um, companies and organizations within the country. Because within our worldview, we're not separate from the world. We're not separate from the environment. We're not separate from the plants and the animals and the earth we're part of it. And if you don't take care of it, you can't take care of yourself. And I think the rest of the world is starting to actually understand that because they just got a wake up call. And so I, I'm excited about it. And I think we're going to really um, growth and um, sophistication from, from our schools. I do. Well, this has been amazing. I, I having this moment where I go, Gosh, it would be cool to have this Ed Up experience little mini series hosted by Dr. Erica Moore, sponsored by AHEC, where she interviews college presidents in tribal colleges over 10 episodes. I get to just hit the sound effects, but not any do any of the hosting. Get, let, let's do it. Let's do a little mini series, highlight our, our tribal colleges out there and the work that's being done. Offer on the table, Erica, you don't have to accept or deny live here on the Edip experience. You can think about it. Uh, but this has been an amazing uh, episode. I want to thank you guys for bringing in um, some real talk. Um, that's what we want to do here on Edup. Say it like it is. A couple of times you guys said, I got to just say it like it is. That's what we want you to do. Say it like it is. People are going to hear it like you say it. And um, this is a way we can help get the message out about our amazing tribal colleges here at the Edup Experience. Thank you both. Ladies and gentlemen, my first guest, well, they didn't come in any particular order. Dr. Sandra Boham, president of Salish Kootenai College. Yes, two times, two out of two, but don't get too excited. I got to do the other one. Uh, and second guest, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Cynthia Lindquist, the president of Chandeska Chickena Community College. Woo. Sweating that, uh, Dr. Erica Moore, my amazing uh, extra special guest co-host. Thank you for bringing these amazing presidents to the microphone. Uh, ladies, did you have fun while you got to talk about your tribal college? At least we had a little bit of fun along the way, right? We did. We did. But it's good stuff. Good work. Uh, thank you also. Please, thank you so much for what you're doing to wake up the world relative to education. And I'm just, I'm so glad I know about you now. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, can I give a space for any native language? Uh, any uh, outro in uh, in a native language here? Oh, you want us to say goodbye in our <laughs> Yes. There's no goodbye. Me don't have okay. goodbye. I'll I'll say, yeah, right, normally well. I would just say Taigwe as in good day, like yeah. a greeting or goodbye or ha home. Thank you. All right. Well, we want to give the space for it. Uh, and there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. An amazing episode of Ed Up. You've just Ed Upped.